Let's move on to today's reading, which is Romans 6, verse 15. And it says this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. 
The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. If I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Well in a moment we're going to have a look at that passage. But before I do, there's just a few things to mention. The first is at the end of the sermon, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments in light of the things that we've been thinking about this morning. And we're going to uh, skim over the whole of the passage, um, but obviously there'll be some details that we have to overlook for the sake of time. So question time can be an opportunity to highlight a few other aspects that we've not mentioned, um, or continue to think a bit more deeper into the things that we have talked about. It all takes place in the live chat and I'll explain that when we come to it. The next thing to mention is there's a sermon outline that you'll have received either during the week but if you haven't got it and you do want it that's in the description box. And then finally and of most importance we're going to ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things that we will be able to reflect upon today because of your servant Paul, who's given this, this momentous uh, book, the book of Romans, that explains your redemptive plan in so much detail. We pray, Lord, that we would be better off, both in our minds as we think about these things and get to know you better, and also in our actions as we engage with one another. And we thank you how it has the ability to cut through uh, the nonsense that we see in our world and society and help us to see your way and how much better it is. No surprise given you are the creator and the redeemer.
Amen. What does freedom look like? What's interesting about freedom is that on its own, it doesn't mean anything. If you say, I have freedom, then the question immediately has to be asked, freedom from what? The word freedom only makes sense in the context of some implied limitation. It implies a slavery. To say, I have freedom, has to infer that before that point I was restricted in some way. So we have to say, we have been freed from whatever that may be. Now we need to take this a step further. What are you going to do with your new found freedom? Now this is even more important than the first point. Now there is implied that you have been freed for a purpose. We see this perfectly demonstrated in the book of Exodus. When Moses approaches Pharaoh, his message from the Lord is, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Moses wants freedom. Freedom from service to Pharaoh so that he have freedom for service to God. Now notice how this doesn't allow for any neutral position. You either f serve Pharaoh or you serve God. The Israelites themselves betray this very fact. When they grumble in the wilderness, they cry out. They want to go back to serve Pharaoh. They want to be freed from their service to God so they may return to their service of Pharaoh. Now all this sets us up perfectly for understanding today's passage because Paul isn't actually talking about freedom. Rather, Paul is talking about slavery. He talks about the slavery that we've been freed from, so that he can introduce and talk about the slavery we've been freed for. Now, I knew an elder who had a tired old joke that he would always refer to when asked about his speeding habits he would reply I'm not under law but under grace 
Now, the sad thing is, as far as I can tell, the quote has to come from either our passage, verse 15, or the verse before that we looked at last week in verse 14. I can't find it anywhere else. And as Paul has often done, already in the letter of Romans, the reason he says this is because he's setting up an objection so that he can knock it down. The elder makes the precise mistake Paul isn't allowing us to make. And that is, being under grace is completely incompatible with a life of sin. And he makes this point by exploring the very question we've already looked at. What have we been freed from and what have we been freed for? Well, we have been freed from slavery to sin and we have been freed for our slavery to righteousness. Notice as well that in both cases there is a freedom Paul highlights in verse 20. Let's just have a quick look. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So when we were slaves to sin, we have a freedom. We're free from righteousness. And so now that we're slaves to righteousness, sinful behaviour is not compatible because that is the very thing that we've been freed from. And then we also have this trajectory, which is found in verses 21 to 23. Slavery to sin, that leads to shame, which leads to death. Slavery to God, which leads to sanctification, which leads to eternal life. Now, in the first six verses of Romans 7, Paul continues to explore what is necessary for this transfer of masters. And he starts by giving this brief illustration of marriage. He explains how a woman is bound to her husband as long as her husband lives. It's only death that frees the woman to marry someone else. If the woman were to live with another man, while her husband remained alive, she would be called an adulteress. But the death of her husband means that she's free from that law. She now can marry again without the fear of being called an adulteress. Now this is simply the illustration that Paul wants to talk about, um, is how, having been transferred from one master... You can be transferred to the other. And just as we see in the illustration, it takes a death 
But in this case, we see we die through the body of Christ. It's his death and our death with him that provides us with the freedom from our sin. And provides us with the freedom for serving our new master. Now we belong to the one who has been raised from the dead. Now the next section of Romans 7, and I'm thinking particularly verses 13 to 20, is ever so well known. And there's an awful lot of discussion around this passage. Does it refer to the Christian who struggles with sin? Or is this the Israelite who lives under the law? Well, I think to get to the answer to that question, it has to be found in the argument of Romans as it's unfolding. So Paul's arguing that we're not under the law, but under grace. Then in verse 7, he imagines another objection. Does that mean then that the law is sin? To which he replies, no, it's, it's not. The law is holy and the law is good. However, the law gives sin the ideas that are needed for sin to flourish. So given that context, I believe it makes much more sense to understand what follows in the remainder of the chapter as what it's like for those who were under the law who recognised that the law was good and they desired to do what the law required of them but because they were slaves to sin were unable to carry it out you know you can have Psalm 119 in the back of your mind as a psalmist worships God because of his law and says how wonderful his law is but of course David failed to keep the law that he loved so dearly he desired to do it but was unable to keep it now all this doesn't mean there's no culpability that's something that has been firmly established earlier in the book, that the sinner is culpable. Everyone is a sinner and everyone's culpable. There is no excuse. Rather, this merely describes the frustration of the authentic Israelite under the law who is a slave to sin. And it's as Paul, it's as Paul delves fully into the frustration of this authentic Israelite that longs to obey God's law that Paul cries out who will deliver me from this body of death only to provide the answer to his own question thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord but here's one of these examples where Paul has got carried away because in verse 25 he quickly brings us back to earth with a bump 
says this. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He won't allow us to stay at that high point because Paul hasn't got there yet. The full freedom that is realised, the full victory, that won't come until Romans 8. For now, Paul, as far as his argument is concerned, is still stuck in the frustration of one under the slavery to sin. Now, in one sense, everything that we've discussed this morning is completely irrelevant to us in the here and now. You know, this really has nothing to say to us and our contemporary society. I mean, let's face it, we don't know anyone who's attempting to follow the Mosaic law, who we can take by the hand and say, isn't it frustrating, desiring to keep these laws, only for the laws to further expose every shortcoming? But actually, with a little thought, maybe our society isn't quite so different as we think. Here... In our society, we do live under a law. And we live under a very oppressive, woke law. And it really is a master that shows no mercy. You feel its presence everywhere when you walk through the supermarket. And as you think to yourself, did I imagine those gasps? because they certainly did sound very audible as I reached out to take the minced beef from the shelf. Or when you realise that you've left the reusable bags in the car, what do I do at this point? Should I leave the bulging trolley unattended while I get them? Or will I be able to endure the frowns from those behind me in the queue as I buy 20 single-use plastic bags? There's the guilt of dropping the kids off in the diesel-swilling car. Or pulling out your cling-filmed wrap sandwiches at lunchtime. And then there's knowing that silence in response to the latest social media outcry won't cut it. Silence simply betrays you've made your decision, and the decision you've made is wrong. This is the new law, and it's impossible to follow. It doesn't share any aspects, any of the positive aspects of God's law that makes it good, or that makes it holy. But it really does have an oppressive nature that those who are slaves to it, if they could just see, would be glad to be freed from it. And furthermore, it's an impersonal law. It is a law that focuses on the abstract. We are saving a world for a people who do not yet exist. We're fighting for the rights of people 
we don't know. We're influencing strangers we've never met. While our families and those close to us, we live estranged from. Because it really is easier to love an abstract concept. But it's very hard to love those that we see every day, moment by moment. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we would not live by the standards of this society, but we would live by the much superior standards that you have given us. That we would love our neighbour as ourselves. That we would dearly care and be other person-centredness. Demonstrate the selflessness that we see, uh, experience within the Trinity as we engage with one another, put their needs before us. We pray, Lord, that we'd get to know those who are at our side instead of putting our investments in caring for and concerning for those we do not know and are merely just an abstract concept to us. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us where we failed uh, those who are closest to us. We pray, Lord, that we really would reflect the selflessness of your Son, who demonstrated his selflessness as he laid down his life. Something that we are and would be so unwilling to do for those who are close to us. Please, Lord, change the way that we think. Bring our minds in line with yours so that we'd reflect your generosity, your son's obedience and the Spirit's full diversity. Amen. Well, I mentioned at the start of the sermon that at the end of the sermon there'd be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments in light of the things that we've been thinking about this morning. And as I said, it all happens in this live chat area here. So what can be helpful is if you've got a question but you want to just spend a moment formulating it and obviously typing it down, if you stick a cue in the live chat box, then we know there's a question on its way. It's going to stop me from moving on to the next part of our service and it just gives you that bit of freedom to write your question down. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be a question, it can be a comment and it can be anything like something, it can do with something maybe in the passage that we didn't look at and I'll have a go or it can be further reflections on the, the sort of um, implications of what we've said.